You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson because democracy doesn't just happen. Indeed, democracy doesn't just happen. We have to make it happen. And we certainly will be make, making it happen as not just today, but every day. As you don't forget, you can always uh, participate and have your say and influence uh, government decisions before they are made by visiting dsouthafrica.co.za. Go, go there, have your say, influence policy, influence those decisions, and take control of your democracy. And as I said before, before the break, we're chatting to Gideon Dubé today uh, about what's happening in the news. Gideon, I trust you're well. Welcome to the show. You will have to unmute yourself there, but <laughs> oh, we seem to be so, having... so, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's uh, for some reason it's not responding to my clicks. It's one of those days today. Thank you for having me back on, Rob. And it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Ah, no problem, Gideon. Always great having these chats. And I think today will be quite an interesting chat as nothing in particular other than hundreds of headlines, which might be quite uh, terrifying for some people. But I think let's let's uh, put out those fires and calm people down and give them the truth, even though there are a few hot topics here. I'm thinking of absolutely every pun I can at this, this stage. To, to help the UK people out with their uh, so-called crisis. But anyway, yeah. Any, anything that you have come across in the, in the news that, that warrants talking? I know there's quite a few topics. There's, there is quite a few. And I think the one that's uh, pretty much eliciting the most visceral amount of public or the visceral degree of public outrage at this stage is ESCOM's application to NURSA. Uh, which for those who don't know what the acronym stands for, is the National Energy Regulator of South Africa. Uh, they were asking or are asking for a 32.66, they just call it, they just call it a 33% price hike, which includes in this penalizing people who use less electricity by charging them a higher rate per unit, as well as charging people that have solar connections and have taken themselves not even entirely off grid, but just reduced the the reliance on the ESCOM grid, penalising them with nearly a thousand rand a month, like sort of connection fee, which is astoundingly hubristic. It 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 just kind of I don't even know how to react to that, Rob. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's it's absolutely ridiculous. It's they should really be doing the complete opposite. Yeah, I mentioned it in in the intro there, and really, it's 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 ridiculous. Encourage people to become energy independent, become electricity independent, and get off the grid, even if it's a hybrid system. Yet here they're imposing tariffs, which really, if I have to pay uh, almost a thousand rand a month, why why would I even bother? bother going off the grid i'll just place more strain on the grid it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever i wonder what you know what i wonder i wonder where this came from who's who's idea who is the brain box behind this it is patently irrational and i think one of the things that that, that the, the only reason this exists is escom is revenue hungry they need more money to keep their inefficient poorly run, poorly managed, parastatal kind of afloat and and pay their ridiculously overinflated wage bills, as well as the fact that there's so much irregular expenditure going on there that that I think we're not even aware of uh, mm. to, to, to keep sort of that those lines of patronage 
sufficiently lubricated and liquid that uh, it really is a type of it's an extortion racket and it's a money laundering operation for for want of a better word and this increase is if you look at the the state of the south african economy the inflation rate is sitting at a 13-year high people can cannot afford the basics let alone luxuries it is uh this is this this is the sort of thing that bread riots are made of and uh to be honest I'm, i'm kind of impressed by the level of civic patience and restraint that the south african public has has shown in the face of uh, energy crises fuel crises mm. the price of all these spikes um it would be uh, it would be ab- absolutely outrageous for this to even even be considered yet i believe drsa might um might be playing a role into in giving the public a bit of a voice in this because we've seen that 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 does have a result absolutely i mean that's that's all we can really do. You know, any any tariff hike that they put out, it does have to go out for for public comment. And yeah, we can definitely influence influence the outcome of that. And it's certainly better than than rising on the street streets, which really doesn't seem to achieve anything at this stage. Remember, at one stage, South Africans there used to be a, at least a service delivery right at least once a, once a day in in South Africa. I'm surprised we aren't seeing more outrage as as you say and people taking to the streets and <laughs> i was going to say burning down parliament but well we can't do it twice unfortunately no uh, we can't i, yes. I believe the national assembly is still uh, a pile of ash really i mean did they at least put some plastic garden furniture on it to to <laughs> hold an assembly or something <laughs> no, apparently, apparently they, they they just um spoke to the da and use the Cape Town Town Hall for for or the Cape Cape Town Chambers or or something to do with the Cape Town uh, Assembly and then made uh, held Parliament with within there, but that's that's also there's now talk about moving uh, Parliament to to Joburg or Tshwane, which is I don't know it seems a bit of a bit of a crazy idea, especially since most of these parliamentarians and, and members of Parliament get uh, about I think it's 32 free flights a year. To, to attend meetings. Who knows what's going to happen with that? Will they keep 32, 32 flights per year or hand them out to someone else or sell them to someone else and then still not attend parliament as most of them do? It all seems a bit bit uh, of a top-down approach there. But anyway, uh, other, other headlines here which seem to raise a, a bit of problems. You mentioned the uh, extraordinary tax hikes that are coming out, interest rates are going up, inflation is hitting hitting the middle class. Really, what, what do you think is going to happen? How, how is the middle class or any South African uh, going to react to, to, these, uh, to these economic times? I think a major mistake that a lot of people and analysts included make is they tend to look at these issues in isolation and they don't see the economy and and the the participants of the economy being the population, ordinary people that are trying to be productive, that earn uh, earn an income, uh, that work for a living, that pay their bills, that pay their taxes, they we focus a lot on on individual sort of flashpoints, but we don't see it as this very sophisticated interconnected web of uh, voluntary transactions and. I think the best explanation that that we saw when when lockdown happened and a a great number of people were caught completely off guard by the economic 
the, the extremely negative economic consequences as we started coming out of it is that, uh, you know, if you take a sledgehammer to a complex system, you end up with a with a suboptimal result, to put it to put it very mildly. <clears throat> it's the same thing with energy prices, whether you're talking and supply, whether you're talking fuel supply, with I think our last major uh, oil refinery uh, was now shut this past week. That's going to have some form of effect. The, the, the price and availability of electricity plus the impact it has on productivity and people's incomes with, with stage six rolling blackouts that were for about two weeks a thing. All of these things together indicate that that we are at a inflection point of a of a major crisis, one that you know we promised yet again more task teams, more turnaround plans for SAA, for ESCOM, for all these things. You know, so these are stories. It's almost like Beauty and the Beast. It's a tale as old as time. We've been seeing these repeated promises and repeated. I'm saying commitments in inverted commas for a long time, and this is not to you know to discourage people and make them feel depressed, but. I think the penny needs to drop that the elected officials in charge of the various committees and portfolios and 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 uh, who are administering the the government are, are either unwilling or incapable of solving any of the problems. And the only real solution lies in looking outside of of government as a source for uh, resolution. Absolutely, and, I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Hedion. It's definitely about removing. A government from from these uh, operations. Gwede uh, Mantashi talking about an, an ESCOM, ESCOM phase two or a second ESCOM. Uh, really, let's solve the problem by creating another problem because we all know where that's going to go. The definite solution is private privatization. There, uh, there is no doubt about that. If we look at private industries throughout this whole period, we've seen many are thriving, absolutely thriving, doing doing incredibly well because. Uh, private industry can adapt. They can adapt to changes in the environment far quicker than a bureaucratic government can. And there's no doubt that our, our government is plagued by by bureaucracy and an unwillingness to to change or think differently. So, oh, and that's, maybe and that's it's unfortunately a, a hallmark of, of almost all highly bureaucratic central governments yeah. and uh, you know before someone and, and there's always somebody who uh, tries to make some claim that that you know we might be specifically biased against the ANC or we're racist because we're making a point about an African government this is not unique to an African government you'll find similar problems in any uh, society that is governed by a very centralized very bureaucratic system of government whether it's in Europe East Asia South America North America wherever you go this is in, it's an inherent thing baked into the system of government unfortunately yeah no, it absolutely is and I think COVID has given us a perfect example of how slow government is to respond and make decisions in in times of, of crisis if anything government made the problems much worse because that's what bureaucracy does. Well, that's, <laughs> that is the other thing, is when they do make a decision and it's the wrong one, how catastrophically long it takes for such decisions to be reversed if they're ever reversed and not simply become institutionalized. And uh, what usually happens is civil society adapts around bad decisions, like uh, mm. like almost the way that a pearl is formed around an irritant in a, in a mollusk. That is the way society seems to deal with bad government decisions, so long as there aren't too many of them in too short a time period, and they're not too significant. But I think before we move on, it's important to say that the the mitigating factor 
for all of these problems you and I just pointed out is a large corpus of active citizens that are directly engaged in their own governance that limits what government can do pertaining bad decisions. It encourages good ones and in other aspects where those decisions can even be made irrelevant by sidelining them and, and sidestepping them entirely. Absolutely. And that that's what this 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 actual show is about. It's Dear Parliament. And that means get involved with, with your democracy and influence that democracy. Have your say and change. Change is right at your fingertips. And I don't think many people don't seem to actually realize that you know, we have the power in democracy. The, the power rests with, with the people, not not with the politicians. But all we have to do is remind them of that and remind ourselves. And hopefully hopefully, we'll be seeing more of that in South Africa. I think I've certainly seen a shift in in the public, public face. We know for sure as the public that we have to take matters into our into our own hands. I think nobody I don't believe anybody trusts government, um, not just in in on corruption terms, but trusts their ability to solve any of the problems that that are facing us uh, today. And of course, the biggest one is is the energy crisis that is that is facing South Africa. But you you mentioned something quite interesting there, the uh, shutdown of of uh, of our major oil refineries. That means all of them are, are shut down now. To me, that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. We should be uh, boosting our local um, fuel production through through Cecil. We should be boosting the the coal to the coal to fuel uh, initiative that that Cecil does run, and becoming more energy independent uh, or self reliant on on energy. So we don't have to succumb to international issues such as the oil price or price per barrel and uh, conflicts around around the world. And I, I cannot for the life of me think why we are not going in that direction. There seems to be this major push towards uh, renewables and green energy, and yet we are ignoring all the resources that we have readily available here. So the interesting thing about green energy and renewables is, as we've as we've realised now from the European experience, and and they have a fairly mild and modest energy crisis uh, as a result of um, the sanctions, which was brought about uh, primarily, well, not primarily brought about, but it was intensified and really brought to a head by the sanctions against Russia. Is that green energy and renewables seem to be powered by coal, natural gas, and nuclear? And if you do not have those elements present in your sort of electricity generation matrix, then and you and you're very much reliant on renewables, then you are, are doomed to failure and 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 instability. South Africa has incredibly rich coal reserves uh, to the extent that we are last I checked exporting to the EU now to keep their uh, the, their lights on for them. We mm. have natural gas. We have a nuclear reactor that and the, the thing that i keep bringing out is that you know we can't look at nuclear energy through the eyes of the event that happened in chernobyl which is nearly 40 years ago and uh, think that that is still applicable to to modern nuclear reactors nor do we have to assume that the government should be uh, uh, responsible for running or managing them so in order to 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 kind of just i think finalize this particular topic is we've 
we've got the capacity to have more than enough energy in South Africa. And we need to also confront the reality of what happens if we if we don't actually responsibly tap into that, what the societal implications are, especially in a country as poor and unequal as our own. I absolutely agree. And it's not just about any energy resilience. It's more it's also about creating jobs and destroying jobs. There's a massive industry based around around coal and the mining and distribution and transport and so on. It stretches far, absolutely stretches far. Now just to get rid of that that whole industry will create absolute major problems in South Africa. Where we're already facing a an employment or unemployment uh, crisis in in the country, Move, moving over to green energy will certainly make that problem worse. And I know a lot of people say we can uh, substitute those jobs and train people to uh, work in in the new industry, but no, that's not going to happen. These are coal miners you're talking about. I don't see how they're going to be. Uh, re-engineered or repurposed into into something else makes absolutely no sense, in 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 my in my point of view. But anyway, on on that note, uh, there's a whole lot of other news headlines which we'll get back to in a moment, and that no doubt all of these signal that change is drastically needed. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson. Because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to 101.9 High FM. Chatting today with Gideon Joubert. If you've missed the first part of, of the show, don't worry. It'll be on our podcast, on our website, either on Spotify or on our website at www.highfm.com. Now, Gideon, we were chatting about these ridiculous news headlines here. There seems to be sowing panic and fear in in South Africa. I was just going through one where Ramaphosa has highlighted a few of the biggest challenges facing South Africa right now. And he highlighted a few specific issues. Um, One which we've just talked about, which was the the energy crisis in South Africa. And he says it's creating great hardship. Another one he's talking about is a spate of violent crimes, which is heightening fear and insecurity in the communities. He also talks about the economy is still recovering from the impact of COVID-19 pandemic and poverty and unemployment is taking a heavy toll on millions who are struggling to make ends meet. And then he brings up the usual corruption. Corruption, he says, has eaten away at our nation's soul and has severely eroded the social compact between the state and citizens. Yeah, we know that, Mr. Ramaphosa. We've known that for many, many years. But Hideon, what do you suppose is happening with these these violent crimes in in communities? Tell you know, tell us a bit more about that. So, uh, just a quick comment on the president. Is he uh, he really is the master of stating the obvious, and, <laughs> yes, and he, he and he certainly speaks every time he he talks of these topics and he and he brings it up and he tells us what we can see with our own eyes and he expands upon it. He sounds like an analyst or a commentator or a, or a passenger in the process, as as opposed to sounding like the 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 head executive the uh the president of the republic who within whom's power and capability actually lies uh the capacity to take some sort of meaningful action and address 
these issues he keeps highlighting. The fact that, you know, we haven't seen any decisive action from his office on any of these these issues uh, for, for nearly five years, you know, it, it's of no surprise that, that things have exacerbated and gotten worse. And viol- <clears throat> the violent crime issue that now seems to be on everyone's uh, lips is the product of, of many things. And one of the key elements, apart from the fact, of course, yes, we're a low trust society with with high levels of, of social frictions, uh, overall lack of the respect of, of the rule of law, and in fact, a, a specifically chronic lack of uh, respect for other people's constitutional rights, whether it be their right to property or their right to life or the right to dignity. These elements, and I've had long, deep conversations with colleagues, associates and friends from across the political spectrum. A big part of this, you know, we can trace back to the destruction of the the nuclear family by the apartheid government and the Group Areas Act that has mm-hmm. resulted in, in, in this sort of thing. But that's not quite the issue here. The, the more basic issue is we have an overall lack, and this is something Ian Cameron very beautifully brought to, I think, the national consciousness, a complete lack of effective policing in South Africa. There is no real meaningful leadership from within the South African police service, uh, the top management, there's no strategic direction. Uh, I think there's a complete lack of understanding of what policing is. It is far too centralized. Becky Taylor, who uh, is heading up that the police portfolio is not only ill-suited to the position, but should preferably be removed as soon as humanly possible and replaced by someone that at least understands what policing is. And, of course, the fact that our model of policing in South Africa is outmoded and, and doesn't work. Now, a gentleman called Sir Robert Peel, back in, I think, the 1820s or 1830s, uh, headed up the Metropolitan Police in London. And he was given the unenviable task of reforming it because the police there had, had lost the public trust severely. And it was having a very negative impact on the ability to enforce law. And he came up with a a series of what we now know as the Peelian principles of policing that are still highly relevant to how policing is conducted today. And and the point of these principles is it needs to be community based. The one principle says you can only police a community with its consent, which which infers you can't centralize it. It needs to be a decentralized function that involves members of a community in its own policing and that that community itself must understand and be willing and appreciate the benefits what policing brings to it. What we have in South Africa is we have national policing that's centrally managed from Pretoria by people who poorly understand the various regional challenges and that actually recruit and deploy police resources uh, into communities where they don't originate from that that again, serves to erode trust. So we have dysfunctional policing that has declined since 2011, which we can attest with the fact that our murder rate has increased every year since then. And we couple that, the fact that it's ineffective with a uh, equally dysfunctional national prosecuting authority. And when we sit with prosecution rates for murder that are less than 15%, and prosecution rates for rape at under 9%, and for trio crimes, which is vehicle hijackings, house robberies, and and, uh, uh, business robberies. And bear in mind, robbery infers that uh, it's not it's not burglary where something's just stolen. This is where property is taken by a use of force or threat of violent force uh, on a person. So it's a confrontational crime. Trio crime prosecution rates is under 3%. So 
crime and violence is cheap in South Africa. There's no consequences for it. And until such a time as we make crime and violence more expensive through meaningful policing and, and criminal justice system that actually works, I don't think it's going to improve unless civil society uh, undertakes their own initiatives in order to fight crime. Absolutely. I think that's exactly what Ian Cameron was was alluding to. So they, he runs a an organ, or, or he's part of an organisation that actually does community policing. And if you listen to what he was saying to to the minister, it was clear, clear and obvious. Come on on our, on patrol with us. See what's happening out there, because the minister has absolutely no idea of, of what goes on in in those local communities. Yet, organisations such as such as Ian's are. Are well aware of of the issues that that are 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 surrounding them, so and that that's probably where the solutions will will come from once again from from the private sector. Funny how the, all the solutions do come from the private sector. It, it blows my mind, really. It does, and government is completely unwilling to engage or even listen to to the people who have viable solutions and yet come up with their top down approach. It doesn't work. If there's any government official listening here, or maybe we'll send send this uh, podcast to them. Really, it's it's time it's time to work hand in hand with with civil society, with private private companies, and trying to solve the many problems that that are facing our country. Really, opening up a a second ESCOM or another state-owned entity to deal with some other issue. Is not the solution. We know where it's going to end up in a bureaucratic pile of steaming rubbish. That's the only way it, it the only way it can possibly end up. But let's let's take a quick break from from all this moaning, and uh, and we'll uh, reconvene in a few minutes' time. You are listening to Dear Parliament with Rob Hutchinson, because democracy doesn't just happen. And welcome back to the Dear Parliament show. So, Gideon, I know we've been talking a lot about these these headlines, and they they are dire. There there seems to be a panic in the in the country and a, and an unwillingness to to solve these problems. What what do you think is the best way to address these issues? So, I'm I'm going to have an unpopular opinion here, and I'm going to tell people to get angry, because. It is dire. I don't think it's alarmist to say that the situation has deteriorated to a point where it, it is creating an existential threat for people to just live their lives uh, in any normal way. And the reason I say get angry is because anger is a much more useful emotion than despair or depression or panic uh, in the sense that it can be directed and can be focused in order to implement solutions. And the only way to to solve this, and I'm saying solve in inverted commas because you know we're not quite going to have this changed overnight, but it's to become actively involved in your own governance. Um, and that is to use your voice where you can. It is to be <clears throat> become involved in your own community, even if it's at street level or neighborhood level, but to try and implement workable solutions and to start resisting bad ideas from government and pushing back on it as opposed to sitting back and expecting other political representatives to do it for you because 
Um, there is no Messiah here. Uh, it's you. But by saying it's you, it's not you alone. It's us as a as a group together. And we've seen what civil society is capable of doing when it's coordinated and motivated. Uh, we've seen the results that can be achieved. Um, this is something that's replicable and, and that has been battle proven, so to speak. It would be an outright crying shame to not to not continue doing it and in fact intensifying it. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more. I have literally nothing to add to that. It's a, it's a mantra I, I preach about all the time. And I think that's it's actually time for, for us as civil society to take matters into our own hands in a positive and uh, solutions-based manner. Not writing, not, not taking on anything, but let's move that anger, as you say, Gideon, into something constructive. Gideon, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting to you again. Um, I hope our listeners have uh, got a better idea of what's going on in the news and what's behind the headlines. And we'll tune in next week for more of this. And if you want to get involved, if you want if anything to say or anything that you want us to discuss, please send us send us a message and we shall uh, address address your your wants and needs absolutely immediately. And that brings us to the end of end of the show. And thanks for thanks for listening and thank you to our guest Hideon. And never, don't worry, tune in next week. And remember to always stay democratically engaged, active and responsible. Ciao for now.